My name is Kevin Ward. I'm the program director of the Sports Animal Radio Network at ESPN in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm also the sports ministry deacon at the Park Church of Christ in Tulsa. I've been involved in radio sports for the better part of 30 years and have served as a deacon at the park for the past decade and at the Guthrie Church of Christ for many years before that. Suit Up has been prayed about for many, many years, and I believe it is inspired by the Spirit to tell faith stories from people involved in sports. I'm also thankful to the Park Church of Christ for believing in this ministry. Now let's get started and suit up. This podcast was recorded in November 2018. When Johnny Rogers won the Heisman Trophy in 1972 at Nebraska, he had already beaten the odds. A two-sport athlete that had to make a decision about which sport to play professionally long before Kyler Murray, Johnny Rogers had to lean on what he knew the Bible taught to be able to pull himself out of some tight spots to become a true American success story and one of Nebraska's favorite sons. For a lot of folks in Oklahoma, if you may recall, back in uh, of 1972, there was a, a spike in the number of heartbreaks around the state of Oklahoma because of this guy who broke Sooners' hearts with that fabulous punt return that uh, really enabled Nebraska to beat Oklahoma on that particular day in the Sooner State. And, and we'll get to that. Uh, here in a little bit with Johnny Rogers, uh, Heisman Trophy winner from 1972. And if folks watched the Heisman presentation, they saw Johnny right there uh, on stage with a few other select Heisman Trophy winners from the past. And so, Johnny, we'll get into the football career here in just a minute, but let's kind of go all the way back. Talk about your upbringing, because I know that in your book, 10 Minutes of Insanity, you talk about basically being born into poverty in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, yes, well, my first recollection of uh, life pretty much was at, at what we call the Omaha River Bottoms. And Omaha River Bottoms where the poorest of the poorest uh, lived uh, when migrating to Omaha from uh, different parts of the country uh, where people were coming in because of the, uh, the packing houses. And uh, my grandfather, uh, who I ended up uh, living with at the time, my mother and I, my mother had me when she was 14, and before I knew it, we were homeless, and uh, we ended up moving in with my grandmother and grandfather. And my, I was pretty impressed with my grandfather because he had actually built the house that we lived in uh, there, but uh, my grandfather couldn't read or write, uh, but he was pretty good with his hands, and he was looking to get the job at the packing house. But we didn't have electricity. Uh, my, we Pretty much my grandmother read to me stories by Kendall, uh, we didn't have running water, so one of my chores uh, uh, as raising me up was to, to bring water in uh, from the well that my grandfather had dug. And that seemed like a fairly easy task, except for I was born with uh, tuberculosis and asthma, uh, so it was kind of difficult for me to bring the, um, the water in. And uh, part of my other job was to, to, to get the eggs out of the chicken coop. And uh, that doesn't seem like a very difficult task either, except for my grandfather had a big red rooster uh, out there <laughs> that was guarding that chicken coop and guarding the whole properties. And it was just a task sometimes just trying to figure out ways to to get the uh, the eggs when he wasn't around. Is that where your quickness came from? Well, I did look at myself later in life. I didn't really think about it until a long time after. Uh, but as I look back and, and think of the time that I was trying to get to the outhouse, uh, <laughs> trying to go to the bathroom, and my, my running style 
uh, is similar to a rooster running, and that's probably because I was getting chased all the time by the rooster. You know, it's in hope I could make it, and sometimes I didn't make it. And uh, I remember a time I had to go to, go to the hospital because he had caught me and pecked me up and and uh, forced me to for my mother to walk me to the bus stop to take me to the hospital. But wow, uh, the rooster played a pro- fairly prominent role in my life uh, growing up because uh, after that, pretty much those that experiences. I really didn't have that much fear of anything else because I was so scared of that rooster that most other things never bothered me after that. <laughs> you know, uh, Nebraska obviously is a lot like Oklahoma. Now, there is Oklahoma State in this state as well, but the University of Oklahoma certainly dominates the football landscape and has for a long time, but not quite like uh, the University of Nebraska does in the state of Nebraska. Growing up in, in Omaha, Johnny, you know, was it a dream to play for the Cornhuskers, I don't really recall how good Nebraska was back in the 50s when you were growing up there. Well, Nebraska really wasn't that good at all. Um, we hadn't run a championship since um, for, for, for many years, for many years going, and uh, my dream was actually to go to USC. Uh, my first dream, I got drafted when I was out of high school. I got drafted to the Los Angeles Dodgers, and my biggest dream in life was to get $100,000. And I did go down to and try it out for the team, and I made the team. And uh, unfortunately, they only offered me $25,000 a year for, for three years. And so I, I came back home to contemplate what I should do. And before coming back home, my uh, dad, it took me, I only met my dad that time in, uh, uh, in California, and took me to the uh, USC Stadium and showed me that stadium there and told me that there it was possible to make $100,000 because... Ernie Davis was the first black Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, Mike Garrett was the second uh, black Heisman Trophy winner, and he went to uh, the USC. And O.J. Simpson in 68 was the, the third black Heisman Trophy winner, and they all made $100,000. So I thought if I could get to SC that I might be able to make $100,000 too. <laughs> so I came back uh, to Nebraska, and uh, I'm contemplating how I'm going to get to, whether I'm going to go to California or how I can get a scholarship. And Bob Devaney uh, uh, gets an appointment uh, for me to, to meet up with him. And I told him my goals, and he told me his goals. And he asked me when I buy in on his deal uh, that he was going to recruit more African-American players than anybody else in history, and he was going to let them play. And uh, he was going for national championships, not just conference championships. And uh, he wanted all Americans, uh, not just Big 8 players, and if I were to come to the University of Nebraska, then I could help make all that happen, and would I buy in? And mm-hmm. I told him that I had my own dream. Uh, I wanted to go SC so I could, uh, you know, make the money that I was kind of after. And they hadn't won any championships at all. They were like six and seven for the my junior and senior year in high school. But he told me that if I was trying to do that, that he would give me a scholarship in football and a scholarship in baseball. And if I would be able to play and play those two uh, together, and I could possibly get $100,000 if we would do that, and I took that deal. I played baseball at the University of Nebraska as well as football until my uh, junior year told me he wanted me to come out for football willingly, spring ball, because they had all these different ways they wanted to get the ball to me. And I said, well, Coach, that's not what you told me. I said, I can't believe you even asked me this. And he said, well, Johnny, if you would just come out willingly on your own, said you'd be the first guy that we endorsed for the Heisman Trophy. So I took that deal and uh, ended up um, 
getting the Heisman Trophy, and uh, we got uh, two national championships. I was able to finally at one time get my $100,000 at the same time, too. I got to think that all these numbers that have been thrown around in regards uh, to Kyler playing baseball and the $9 million signing bonus and all of that, you can certainly relate to what he's going through with the idea of playing professional baseball and football in the mix. But obviously all these zeros behind the ones got to be mind-blowing. Well, yeah, he's getting quite a a better offer than I I was getting. (laughs) Baseball really was my favorite sport at the time, and I really didn't care that much uh, whether I played baseball or football pretty much at the time. I wanted to try to get out of poverty because that was my biggest goal, just to try to figure out how I could get uh, uh, money. And uh, it seemed at that time that football was very popular. It was the thing that was bringing the most opportunities, and so that's what uh, I thought the, the creator was leading me to do. And I really can't complain, and I don't really have any regrets uh, by choosing uh, uh, football over baseball. Uh, Bob Gibson, uh, the great uh, pitcher from the St. Louis Cardinals, his brother Josh Gibson kind of raised me and Bob together. And uh, it wasn't long uh, that Bob went off to play for the Cardinals, and I was still there with Josh. And I was part of that experience that he was able to, to make it to the big time. So I was really trying to follow in his footsteps. But at the same time, I had Gail Sayers that were here as well. <laughs> and he had went into the NFL, and Marlon Briscoe was the first black quarterback to play in the NFL. He's from Omaha, Nebraska. I had Bob Boozer. He was the first black Olympian. We had a lot of guys that made it from Omaha, Nebraska. We call it Omaha, against the current. That mm-hmm. They went against that current and went on to make national and international fame for themselves. And So I had some leaders ahead of me that showed me that uh, anything was possible. Let's go back to Nebraska, Johnny, and and talk about the gas station incident because, you know, we all look at our past and we can see growth as an individual. And and I know in your book that those are the things that can galvanize somebody as they, you know, grow into manhood. Well, yeah, those those type of mistakes can really take you out of the game early. And that's, we do have a lot of these things happening where where people get felonies at, at a young time. And uh, I was charged, the incident happened when I was 17 years old, uh, so I got charged with the felony, um, younger than 18, and it really changed my life. Uh, it had me totally depressed. I was on the edge of suicide. Uh, I had, had a couple, two or three kids at the same time, too, and I think the only reason why I didn't commit suicide was because I didn't grow up with a father, and I didn't want my kids to, to grow up with no father, and uh, so it had me contemplating a little bit longer. Uh, prior to the time that uh, Devaney came back and got me and and kind of led me back through, and I got the strength to persevere to keep my commitment because he told me that I had to learn to to have integrity, which was maintaining your commitments even after circumstances have changed. Um, and I had no idea what that meant, but uh, you know I had to come back and I had to to do the things for the team that I promised the fellows that I was going to do and for my children and for myself. And uh, it was just a chance of a time of strong perseverance because I couldn't act like I didn't make a mistake. It was really a mistake. It was really a prank. I really wasn't robbing a gas station to get money. I was robbing a gas station in order to for fulfill a thrill or a dare or just to do something uh, when you're just trying to find something to do crazy that uh, you have no idea the validity of uh, the significance of it because I had never heard of a felony. Um, I didn't even know about a felony. I even had a felony or the significance of it for probably several years until I got in trouble again in San Diego. 
and uh, part of my problem was that I had I was already a felon, and I didn't even know that I was a felon because I thought I had gotten a pardon, and I finally didn't have a pardon, and it sent me through a whole other spiral about ten years after that. Go back to you know playing professional football, and decision was made to play in the Canadian Football League. What was the thought process there, and in, in playing in Canada? Well, I'm I'm trying to get a hundred thousand dollars, and uh, <laughs> my mother told me I was crazy to be thinking about trying to get a hundred thousand dollars because black people didn't make a hundred thousand uh, dollars. But when I seen that it was possible to get a hundred thousand dollars, that was my sole pursuit. Uh, when I got drafted in the first round to the San Diego Chargers, I went to the Chargers, and uh, Harden Savari, uh, they offered me $50,000 a year for three years, which was, uh, back in those days, was pretty much pretty good money. But it, even though I wasn't very good at math, it wasn't $100,000. <laughs> and I was after a $100,000 contract, and I would do whatever to get it. Uh, when I didn't get the $100,000 from uh, San Diego, I made an appointment to go up to Montreal uh, because they had my rights. And Sam Berger, the owner of the team, when I got off the plane, he asked me, he said, well, Johnny, what is it going to take for you to bring that Heisman Trophy to, to Montreal and play football for the Alouettes? And I said, sir, it's going to take $100,000 <laughs> and uh, a year. And he said, uh, okay. <laughs> and it was no bickering, no negotiation, no anything. We just enjoyed ourselves. He gave me what I asked for. I wasn't trying to be greedy. But the only thing that really didn't work out was that I had been after $100,000 for so long, ever since the time I was like 10 or 11 years old, that by the time I got that $100,000, $100,000 really wasn't worth that much no more. Yeah. And and because I didn't have money and wasn't used to money, I didn't understand the value of the $100,000. and. So I was kind of discouraged when somebody told me that that, that wasn't very much money and that they had heard talk, I had heard talk about a million dollars. Somebody had brought that up. And I didn't know the difference between a million and a hundred thousand dollars until somebody told me that was ten times a hundred thousand dollars. And I said ten th- times a hundred thousand dollars kind of out of my whole sphere of thought, too, because I had never heard about that. And, so when I did hear about it, I started thinking about it, and God put it on my mind, and I devised a plan, and the very next year I was able to sign the uh, uh, first million-dollar contract in the Canadian Football League. Well, and it wouldn't be long after that when you would return to the United States and and then play in the NFL with those same Chargers, but, but injuries just really kept you from being the player that you could have been in the NFL. Final segment with 1972 Heisman Trophy winner Johnny Rogers coming up after the break. This is Mitch Wilburn, preaching minister at the Park Church of Christ, proud sponsor of Suit Up. I'd like to extend an invitation to you to join us for worship at the Park. We're a Bible-based church that loves the Lord and loves people. We have one service on Sunday morning at 9 a.m., and that's followed by classes for everyone from newborn to 100 years of age. The park sits on a rather large lot near the corner of Garnett and the Creek Turnpike and offers a Sunday evening service at 6 p.m. and Wednesday night we meet at 7 p.m. Our youth have their own building with multiple men and women leading them and our kids age 1 to 5th grade have their own educational wing that even has its own working carousel and ice cream parlor. And I love both. Kevin, the host of this podcast, is in charge of our sports ministry that goes on all year round with basketball, volleyball, softball, great activities. 
So come see us at the park on the corner of Garnett and the Creek Turnpike, or check us out on the web at parkplaza.org. Walk me through, uh, Johnny, the uh, knee injury that you sustained in a team practice that basically ended your career. Well, what happened first of all, it was I had a hamstring problem. I pulled my hamstring uh, my first year back uh, after several games uh, because I didn't take in consideration that I was coming from a colder climate to a hot climate, coming from uh, different type of climates, and so my water intake was different. I ended up pulling a muscle. I never had a pulled hamstring before, but that hamstring uh, was horrible. kept me from playing uh, six, seven games. Uh, so when I did come back, I was probably in the best shape that I've ever been in the history of my life uh, because I worked to get into the best shape I could be. I had a karate instructor that he and I worked out together, and so I was really what I call a world-class condition. When uh, one day at practice, Mike Fuller, uh, one of our defensive backs, I stepped on my foot doing a curl pattern and popped my knee, and I chipped a pre-chip out of my kneecap about as big as a a silver dollar, and they end up drilling holes back into my knee to make it grow out. But I went from a, a, a wheelchair to crutches to where it just didn't seem like it was that I was ever going to really be the same again. So when you're really a fast or a quick player and, and you lose it, it's pretty dangerous. You start thinking, seeing why uh, people do get help hurt out there because you can't get away the way you used to. So you have to make some other decisions. So I had to go within myself to see other things that I needed to do. And that's when I started a magazine called Tuned In San Diego. I had the first weekly cable TV magazine in the United States. And I had the, the largest magazine in the history of San Diego. I had ABC audit of 75,000 books a week that I ended up selling, taking an idea that I had from Montreal from the entertainment side, combined it with the cable and sports. I bought all the checkout counter space on all the different stores in the counties and took TV Guide out, put them right next to my book, and I was selling more books to uh, TV Guides, uh, tuned in, than TV Guide was selling TV Guides because I had all the cable listings and they just had network. <laughs> Which is awesome. And, you know, the other thing, too, is folks know that you participated in the game of the century. Man, you, you've been named to a lot of all-century teams by uh, Sports Illustrated, uh, Walter Camp Football Foundation. There are a lot of people that recognize just how great of a college football player you were at Nebraska and obviously all of the numbers that you produced there, all those trophies, championships and all of that, there's just really no getting around the fact that you're one of the greatest college football players to ever play the game. When you look back on the career of Johnny Rogers, what are some of the things that you might do differently if you could travel back in time? Well, there's, you know, other than my, um, other than my incident, well, I had kids too early. Um, like I said, I had my first uh, son when I was 14. My mother had me when she was 14. Uh, I was 14 when I had my first kid, which was far too early uh, to have children. Uh, I never knew my father until I was like 17 years old. It would, it would have been fairly decent to have some leadership or something going on early because I was had to teach myself darn near everything that I knew. Uh, I'm the mentor of the 100 black men of Nebraska right now because I realize that part of my uh, 
my success came because of that I was mentored by some very good people, not just football coaches, but other people in my community that I was able to take different advice uh, with that set me on the right track on a lot of different things. Um, and I really can't take too many things more that I would do that much different. Uh, maybe I would have got a different type of degree. Well, I went back and I got two degrees. I got a degree in advertising and a degree in, uh, in broadcasting. Uh, but because of my last daughter, I never really was able to take advantage of my broadcasting uh, opportunities because uh, I ended up getting a divorce and raising my last daughter mm-hmm. uh, myself. So I, I really can't uh, regret any of the things that transpired that led my life to, to where it is because I've had a pretty good life. And um, God has used me to let people know that you can uh, bring yourself up from the bottoms. Uh, you can't come up from the ashes and, and, and get back into the game. You can do all the things you want to do. You just got to learn to persevere and uh, not to give up. But I can't really, I have too many awards and too many accolades. And every year, till this, this year counting, that there's somebody that is breaking one of my records because I still got records. <laughs> and I, I got records that they probably won't break. And these days they have uh, more football games that they play, and everybody starts playing as a freshman when we only, they had four years to play and we only had three. And they still haven't broken all of my records yet. So uh, even though I could have done things differently and I probably could have been better, could have done better, could have had a lot more nicer things and uh, more of a structured life, uh, I don't know if I would change too many of the things that I, I did because I've learned so much and. It wasn't so much to, of all the things I was able to acquire. I, I think my biggest value was just um, the type of person that I turned out to be that I still kind of like myself, and uh, me and me get along just fine. <laughs> when you and I were emailing back and forth, and I asked if there was uh, anything particular out of the Bible that you know kind of hit home with you, I know the one thing you said was Luke chapter 13. And for folks who may not remember, that is is the uh, parable of the fig tree. And, and I can see the parallels in, you know, what happened with that fig tree not producing. Another thing that you told me is that your issues have an expiration date. And because of the grace of God, you can move past those things. And as you say, live that life that you've enjoyed. Uh, yes, I, I have been able to move past it. Like I said, I had, I had a magazine and, and uh, like the first weekly TV magazine in the United States. And the largest magazine still date in the history of San Diego, and uh, I had a felony. Um, I didn't even know that you had problems. I knew I knew about a felony, but I really didn't know no uh, until I until I got in another incident in San Diego, where uh, I had uh, got charged with an assault charge for telling the guy that came out uh, a cable guy came to my house to and was on my roof doing something, and I asked him. What was he doing? And he wouldn't tell me. And I told him he needed to get down to tell me. And he said no. And I told him, if you don't come down off my house and tell me what you're doing, then I'm going to shoot you. And so he came down, and he told me what he was doing. And uh, he was out changing my grandmother's cable because I had an agreement with the cable company. I didn't even have a bill, which was made it so um, uh, odd that someone would be on my roof doing something with a cable when I didn't even have a cable bill. Mm-hmm. But uh, for threatening him, uh, they gave me uh, 
charged me with assault for threatening, and then they charged me felon in possession, and then they told me that if I didn't plead guilty on that, uh, that they were going to give me nine years. And I told them that when I was in college and I made a mistake and I, I was wrong, uh, that I admitted it and I would do it, but I was not going to admit something when I wasn't wrong. And so I didn't take the deal, and they actually gave me nine years. Wow. Uh, I don't know if you knew about that, but they yeah. gave me a nine-year sentence. And um, because I wouldn't plead guilty uh, in for something that I really wasn't really guilty of. Hey. Uh, to make a long story short, I took it to the uh, when they gave me the nine years, I took it to the appellate court, and I got it overturned. And then I, I moved back to Nebraska. Well, one final question before I let you go. we got to talk about the state of Nebraska football now because the program certainly uh, has fallen on some hard times, especially after the move to the Big Ten. Things have just not gone the way that I know all Nebraska fans had hoped that the football program would. Do you like the new coach, and do do you see them turning a corner, Johnny, and getting back to at least a level of winning conference championships and then on to national championships? Well, I do like the the, the coach, uh, Scott Frost. Uh, he is a good coach. Uh, he was a good player as well. Uh, he has a good mentor in Coach Osborne that's mentoring him. Uh, the only challenge is right now, when I came up and we didn't have a lot of black players playing, uh, there weren't black players playing anywhere. Uh, now we have black players playing everywhere, and the competition is comparable all around the country, and it's far more difficult to recruit guys, the quality players, uh, to uh, 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 Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, versus Florida and Alabama <laughs> mm-hmm. and Texas and Oklahoma, uh, where you're going to have a lot, lot better weather, a lot more warm weather, and a lot more opportunities to do a lot more things. So uh, I really, I hope that we're going to get back to where we were, uh, but there's so much competition out there right now that putting together a winning team when things are in transition all the time and guys are able to go to the pros as a sophomore or a junior, they don't stay hardly ever for that senior year, uh, it's, going to be a, it's going to be just very, very difficult to get that many guys on the field at the same time. They're able going to compete to that level, but that's what our challenge is and that's what we're really trying to do and we have faith uh, that we can get that done, uh, but it does not come without work. Well, Johnny Rogers, you've lived a lot of life since you won that Heisman Trophy back in 1972. It was good to see you on TV the other day. And I saw you just a couple of years ago here in the state of Oklahoma. You had come back for an event, and I'm glad that you feel welcome to come back into the state of Oklahoma all these years later after breaking the hearts of Sooner fans in that game of the century. But you're doing so much good work with your mentoring, with the presidents of the 100 Black Men of Omaha, those scholarships. To, to the Metro Community College. You're doing so much good stuff, and I love hearing the language of talking about faith and talking about succumbing to that greater power, and I appreciate all of that. And listen, I, I wish you the best, and, and let me put another plug in here for your book. It's 10 Minutes of Insanity. Folks can go to 10minutesofinsanity.com and uh, read more about the book or just buy the book. Uh, everyone says this really is a good book, and it really take, took a lot of faith to be able to do it. I have 
took me a year to be able to dictate it. I didn't write it. I dictated it, and I got one of my college professors that I had when I was back in school who actually assisted me in writing the book. But there's a lot of truth in there. There's a lot of faith in there, uh, a lot of success, a lot of despair in there. But uh, we, we always make it back up, and I still do have a lot of respect for Oklahoma. They're one of the greatest teams uh, that we ever uh, played against, and if they hadn't been so good, we wouldn't have been so good. So, <laughs> I, uh, whenever I'm not rooting for Nebraska, I'm always rooting for Oklahoma. My thanks to Johnny Rogers for being my guest on this episode of Suit Up. Please subscribe to Suit Up on Podbean.com, and don't forget to give us a five-star rating in the process. On our website, SuitUp611.com, you'll also find other inspiring stories from other sports figures around the country. Now. Have a blessed rest of your day.